Now I've never climbed a mountain in my life, not a serious one anyway, but I've seen enough documentaries about it to know what a base camp is. Maybe you do too. A base camp is the place where the climbers establish pretty much as their home. The base camp is where the climbers routinely return to so as to sort of rest, so as to acclimatise and get their bearings. It's from the base camp that the climbers move onwards and upwards up the mountain to the summit. Now, last week we established base camp in our series on faith. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 4, verse 21, the verse that described Abraham's faith as being fully persuaded that God has power to do what he had promised. And remember, from that one verse, we pegged down some important truths about faith. We pegged down the idea that faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is a, is a thoughtful uh, conviction about what is true and reasonable. We also pegged down the idea that our faith is grounded in the faithfulness of God. And so what makes Christian faith work is not the amount of faith we have, it's the reliability that God has. That's the critical thing. And then thirdly, we also pegged down the idea that faith is not being confident about just anything that we might like to think of. Faith is being confident in the things that God has promised. And so if he hasn't promised it, well, we have no real confidence, uh, no real reason to be confident about it. Friends, that was base camp last week. And it's a pretty good base camp. Uh, that verse really does clear away a lot of the confusion and the misunderstandings that exist about faith. But it's only a base camp. God's got a heap more things to tell us about faith in the Bible. There are breathtaking views to be seen further on up the mountain. And in particular, we have still to discover why faith is so important in the Bible. I mean, it's nice to define what we mean by the word, but so what? What's the big deal about being persuaded that God has power to do what he has promised? Why does it matter so much whether you do that or not? Why does the Bible make such a fuss about faith? That's what we're thinking about this morning. Today, we really are going onwards and upwards from base camp so as to see why faith is as important as it is. And that is going to be an impressive view to take in. And to get to that view, all we've actually got to keep doing is walking past base camp, literally. It's a matter of going back to that verse in in Romans chapter 4 and simply reading on past it to see some other things that God has to say. So back to Romans 4, let me pick it up from verse 20. Remembering he's talking about Abraham's faith in the Old Testament. Yet he, that is Abraham, didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. See, there's our base camp, but let's keep walking. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And the words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, friends, in order to see exactly why faith is so important, let me tease out especially those last three verses. Let me do it under the headings of the content and then the consequence of our faith. 
Firstly, the content of our faith. And by that, I'm referring to the content of the promises that God has made to us. Because if faith is being persuaded that God has power to do what he's promised, the obvious question is, well, what exactly has he promised? What's he promised us? Last week we noticed that in Abraham's case, God promised him that he'd have many descendants and that God would form him into a great nation. That's the promise from God which Abraham had faith in. But for us, the particular promise of God which we're called on to have confidence in, our promise is a little bit different. That's what Paul goes on to explain in verse 24 when he says, for us who believe in in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You see what that's saying? Abraham believed that he'd have many descendants, but for us, we're the ones who believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. In fact, more than that, we're the ones who believe that Jesus was, verse 25, delivered over to death for our sins and raised for our justification. That's what our promise is. What's it mean? Well, let's take the first phrase of verse 25, Jesus being delivered over to death for our sins. And in that phrase, it's important to notice exactly who is doing what. He died for our sins. He he, he died, we sinned. In other words, Jesus died because of our sins. Jesus died as a result of our sins. Now, I realise sin isn't a very popular idea nowadays, but God thinks of us all as sinners. Uh, That's in the sense that none of us are perfect. None of us treat God or treat each other as well as God wants us to. And the reason we don't see that as clearly as we do is because we keep comparing ourselves to each other instead of what God says. And so we uh, we might tell what we think is a bit of a white lie or we might take home something from school or work that isn't ours or we might gossip about someone behind their back, or lose our temper, or act selfishly in our marriages, and we tell ourselves, well, you know, at least I'm not like so-and-so. It's not as if I've murdered anyone. It's not as if I've got much of a criminal record. And because we reckon that we can always find someone who's worse than us, well, we can't be all that bad, can we? God will be happy with us. But when we open our eyes and compare ourselves with what God is like and what he expects us to be, what you discover is that he's not happy with us at all. I think I've mentioned it before, but a while back Sue and I organised to have our carpets cleaned and uh, before the bloke was coming around to clean them, I walked through the house and I was starting to have second thoughts. Carpets don't look too bad. This guy's going to charge the earth. I'm not sure we really need to have the carpets cleaned. But he turned up and after he'd cleaned the first room, and I could see the colour of the water that had come out of the carpet, and I could compare the colour of the carpet that had been cleaned with the carpet in the other rooms, started to feel sick. Man, we should have had these cleaned ages ago. They're disgusting. Now, that's what happens when we stop comparing ourselves to other people and we honestly face up to a comparison between us and God and what he expects of us. Because compared to a holy and righteous God, we are just disgusting. And I'm sorry if that's offensive to you, but it's not just you, it's me, it's all of us. But you see, back to Romans 4, the good news is that Jesus 
was delivered over to death for our sins and raised for our justification. Now that word justification, that's a legal word, comes out of law courts and it means to be declared right. Declared right. It effectively means to be treated as if you've never done anything wrong in the first place. It means you can go free, it means you can go unpunished and any record of ever having done anything wrong is removed. So you see what verse 25 is saying? Jesus died because of our sins so that we could be treated by God as if we'd never sinned. Jesus took our punishment. And because of that, all record of wrongs can disappear. Last year, Olivia was doing a school project which involved her borrowing a book from the district library. The book was entitled Confessions of an Heiress and it was written by no less than Paris Hilton. It was a book full of all these tips from Paris Hilton about how to dress, uh, how to become a celebrity, uh, which restaurants to be seen in, uh, what shoes go with which bag. Anyway, we get to the library and Olivia announces to me that she's forgotten her library card and could, I, could she borrow the book on my card? Now, I'm feeling pretty apprehensive about this because I don't want to have my library record showing that I've borrowed a book from Paris Hilton. I've got images of the librarian giving me a funny look every time I now borrow something because she swipes my card, my file pops up on the screen, she's seen that I've borrowed Confessions of an Heiress by Paris. She'll think I'm an idiot. Anyway, I actually um, told my anxieties to the librarian on duty and she assured me uh, that once Olivia brought the book back, all record of me ever having it will disappear. Jenny Good, that is true, isn't it? Tell me it's true. It'll be as if I've never borrowed it. My file is spotless. Now, that's what it is to be justified. Any record of wrong is gone. It's shredded, it's trashed, it's wiped, it's erased, it's finished. And that's what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection. He took a punishment which our sins deserved so that we would not be punished and that every trace of our sin be removed from the record. As far as God is concerned, it'll be as if we've never sinned. It is an extraordinary sacrifice that we celebrate at our communion. And it is an extraordinary promise from God that no matter what you have done, no matter how many times you have done it, you can be forgiven because of Jesus' death and resurrection. That is the content of God's promises to us. But here's the crunch. The death and resurrection of Jesus does not automatically bring forgiveness to anyone. The death and resurrection of Jesus only brings forgiveness to those who trust him. The death and resurrection of Jesus only brings forgiveness to those who put their faith in him. And it's at this point we move from the content to the consequence because the consequence of faith is that the promise of forgiveness becomes personally applied to us. The promise that you can be justified, the promise that was out there and technically possible when you respond to God in faith, the confidence, the consequence is that that becomes a personal promise applied to you. 
So imagine I stroll up to you over morning tea a little bit later on and I say to you, um, hey, close your eyes, hold out your hands and I'll drop a $100 note in it. Now, if I was to say that to you, you would have a choice to make, wouldn't you? To trust me or not trust me. I mean, while your eyes are closed, I could do just about anything to you. So you're going to have to choose. Am I going to put my faith in Bryson's promise or not? From what I know of Bryson, from what I've seen of him in action, is he really going to drop a $100 note in my hands? Or to put it in the terms of uh, the Bible, am I fully persuaded that Bryson has power to do what he has promised? Now, you would, of course, trust me, wouldn't you? And so you close your eyes, you put out your hands, and because of my faithfulness, I drop a $100 note into it. Now, friends, if that was to happen, it's not going to, I'm sorry. If it, if it happened, it's not that you earned the money by closing your eyes and putting your hands out, did you? No, no, your faith in me didn't actually merit me giving you the $100. No, no, that was the result of my generosity and your faith was simply the way you accepted it. Now, that is what happens as Christians. God makes a stunning promise. Forget the 100 bucks. God effectively says, put out your hand and I will drop forgiveness in it. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, I will wipe your sins away forever. And you'll never guess what. If you are persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised and you put your hands out because of his faithfulness, he will drop forgiveness in them. And it's not that your faith earned it. It's because God is rich in mercy. But faith still matters because it's the way we accept the gift. Now, friends, back in Romans, that's what the Apostle Paul means when he speaks about God crediting faith as righteousness or counting faith as righteousness, the ESV has. Righteousness is a word which means to be put right with God. And so the phrase credited with righteousness, that's another way of saying that because of faith, when we trust that God has the power to do what he's promised, well, that's when God will drop the blessing in our hand. See, look back with me at verse 20. Yet he, Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he'd promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. See, why was Abraham considered righteous? Why did God think of Abraham as being in the right with him? It was a consequence of his faith. It was because he was fully persuaded that God was able to do it. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And, verse 23, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. In other words, what happened for Abraham, it's also going to happen for us. When we have faith, it'll be credited to us as righteousness. When we trust the promise that God has made to us, when we trust the promise that, God was de- that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification, when we in faith put out our hands... The gift is ours. And friends, that is why faith is so enormously important in the Bible. Faith is the response by which we humbly accept God's offer of forgiveness. 
In fact, in one sense, that's only the start of it because what happens is that by responding in faith, it actually triggers off a whole avalanche of spiritual blessings. It's as if God's generosity is not satisfied with simply forgiving us. Romans 5 tells us that since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Galatians 3 says that that faith now allows us to be adopted into God's own family as his children. Ephesians 1 lists off spiritual blessing after spiritual blessing, almost overwhelming us with all these things that God will drop in our hands. It's as if, having left base camp, where we peg down in the broadest terms what faith is, it's as if, having left the base camp of what faith is, and having now trekked up to the view of why it's so important, what we discover is a view that just keeps going on and on and on and on. For the view shows us that by faith you can be forgiven by the God of all the universe. And the view shows us that that same God will drop in your hands every spiritual blessing. That is astounding. And I must finish this morning by asking you straight up, have you in faith humbly accepted those things? I'm not asking do you come to church. I'm not asking are you active around church. I'm not asking are you a nice person. I'm not asking you do you have friends who are missionaries. I'm not asking you, do you even go to a Bible study or put money in the collection? I'm not even asking you, do you have a quiet time? I'm asking, have you ever in faith put out your hands and humbly said, God, I'd love you to make me clean? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, I'm fully persuaded that you can do that. Have you ever done that? Would you like to do it this morning? Would you like to walk out of this building this very morning having been made righteous? And all those things in your life that you are ashamed of and all those things in your life that you are tormented about, would you love them to be wiped away completely? Would you love God to look at you as if you had never done any of it? I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to God. And if you are persuaded that God has power to do what he has promised through the death and resurrection of Jesus, well, you might like to quietly pray this prayer with me. Let's pray. Dear God, I admit that you are right and I am a sinner. I don't deserve anything from you except to be punished. But God, you have promised that Jesus died for our sins and was raised for our justification. And I trust you. I am convinced that you can do what you say. And so I humbly accept your offer of forgiveness. I'm staggered that you would do that for me, but I, but I gratefully accept it. Thank you so much. And please, God, from this day forward, I want to serve you to the best of my ability. 
Please help me to do that. Please come and take control of my life because I trust you. Amen.